0: heart takes not hot takes this is everyone is wrong a counterintuitive pop culture podcast i'm your host seth sommerfeld thanks for listening my guest today is one of my absolute favorite indie rockers the only person who i've seen watch a red Sox game during a live concert that they were playing and the first podcast guest we've had on here that's pregnant while doing the episode lots of firsts just knocking them out She has strapped on her studded wristbands and headed into a Warped Tour mosh pit to defend the honor of the successful but maligned early 2000s standout pop-punk band Good Charlotte. Everyone is wrong, but Jess Abbott isn't. Thanks for coming on, Jess.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I wasn't sure if I was um, allowed to be laughing out loud during that intro, so I was muffling. (laughs) Feel
0: free to laugh at me at any time. That's... uh, Always acceptable.
1: (laughs) That might be the best introduction to me that I've ever heard, (laughs) so thank you for that. (laughs)
0: I'm I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying out here. So uh, Jess, for those who might be unfamiliar, is the creative force behind the band Tancred. I met her way back many moons ago when she was playing in another excellent band called Now Now, and she's released a bunch of albums under Tancred, including Out of the Garden, which was my favorite album of 2016 and also has some new songs coming out, one that just came out and one that's on the horizon. Do you want to mention those right at the top here, Jess?
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah, I've had kind of like a very long bout of writer's block and also was just kind of letting myself have a music industry detox. So I haven't written many songs at all since I wrote my last record, Nightstand, which came out in 2018. So it's been... I guess 4 years since I've kind of I released a, an acoustic version of that album a year or two ago but um these are the first new songs I'm releasing since 2018 and I think they're the only two I've written to completion in those in that time. So I've had them kind of in the in the back drawer for a while, back back pocket in the back something drawer. The back <laughs>
0: pant pocket of your jeans for a while. <laughs> However you want to be. The
1: back burner in my back pocket. It's in the back. I start, the, the one, the song that has already come out is called Mirepoix and I started writing it and I think about 2019 and then recorded it in 2020 and then kind of tweaked it throughout 2021 and now I'm finally releasing it in 2022. Mirepoix, simple and small Something so familiar in a soul partial and raw, finding who to share with, aren't we all, simple and
2: small, together
1: And the next song coming up is a song called Jars that I that I wrote basically on the same timeline. They're kind of uh, the thing that I've come to accept in my musical hiatus is that Tancred will never have a consistent genre so they're they're like a the guitars are primarily acoustic, but there's a lot of production going on with them, so they're. It kind of maybe harkens back to my first release, Capes, from when I was very young, came out in 2010. But definitely with, you know, uh, it's it's not me when I was 20. It's me at. Thirty-one, so Right. it's still different in that way. But I don't know what the next release will be after this. These are just—I wanted to get these two songs out. I really like them, and I don't know that they'll fit in with whatever record I do next. For all I know, I might do a sequel to Out of the Garden next. So these two songs are just standalones, and I'm excited about.
0: Yeah, or maybe it's just just a full Good Charlotte album. It's your version <laughs> of the Young and the Hopeless, which would be weird, but go for it. If that's, <laughs> shine on you, crazy diamond. Um, yeah, I,
1: um, I, I did buy a Lute in the last year and have been slowly trying to figure out how to play it. And Jenny, my spouse, and I have discussed doing a Lute Biscuit Limp Biscuit <laughs> cover album on Lute. Um, now I'm thinking I got to do something like that for Good Charlotte. I don't know what exactly, but I would. And I almost actually said, should we do Limp Biscuit instead of Good Charlotte? Equally maligned, maybe even more so. But yeah, but Good also, Charlotte, I know more also about Also, I
0: feel like Limp Biscuit as Had like sort of a like over the past couple years has sort of gotten a little more people seem to be like more into being like, Yeah, actually, Limp Biscuit is cool, at least, like you know, like in music circles. At at least, I know a lot of people that are I know some people that have wanted to do like the music of Woodstock 99 as like an episode and things (laughs) like that, where I don't feel like there's been that sort of revival. For good, for good charlotte in recent years but that's um,
1: true i mean i'm glad to hear you say that about Limp biscuit because that's exactly how i feel about it is i like unironically really enjoy them and they have things that are goofy of course but like i think that Limp biscuit is legitimately doing something very like unique and and uh like emotional like emotive in a way that's that's very cool and whenever i say that people look at me like i'm crazy but i'm always surprised like i am expecting people to feel the same at this point because of their revival mm-hmm. and they're like ha 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 you're kidding right and i'm like no did you really think i was i thought we all agreed here at this point that get rocks but... yeah
0: it's kind of it's kind of those weird things where i feel like they've almost come back more among people who see, would seem to be inclined to dislike them more recently than like the general public even like I just know a lot of music people that are like have are now like chest out limb biscuit fans that yeah you would have thought I mean, it's good would not but yeah they tap into that certainly the you know break stuff ethos that uh
1: and I think the thing too that really makes them is that they're they have a lot of self awareness, or like Fred Durst and Wes Borland do. I don't know much about the rest of the band, but they like they're very aware of what they're doing and what their image is, and they just kind of say "fuck it." So. Um, I think that that helps, you know. It's they have a lot of awareness in their band that I think a lot of like more serious modern bands maybe don't have. <laughs>
0: right. So again, welcome to the everyone is wrong episode on Limp Biscuit. Uh, <laughs> sorry, recording. sorry. No, no, I'm just. Uh, it's it's fun. We you know it's <laughs> still open. I I I would still do an episode on that. So maybe that'll be the return of Jess Abbott defending Limp Biscuit uh, down nice. the road. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But for today, our focus is Good Charlotte, so let's get into the background of Good Charlotte. Good Charlotte is a pop-punk band founded in Waldorf, Maryland in 1996 by twin brothers Joel and Benji Madden. Joel is the lead singer, and Benji is the lead guitarist and backup vocalist. Bassist Paul Thomas has been in the band since its inception, pretty much. And rhythm guitarist Billy Martin was added... Soon after the formation in 1998, and they've gone through a slew of drummers over the years, but that's essentially the core of the band. The band came up in the Washington, D.C. music scene and eventually built up some buzz with demos and playing pop punk festivals and just kind of being a pop punk local band there, uh, eventually lit took them on tour as an opener in 1999, and they got to open tours for other acts like Sum 41, Goldfinger, sort of the bands of the ilk of that time. Good Charlotte eventually signed Epic Records in May of 2000 and released its self-titled debut album that September. The song The Click was used as a theme song for the short-lived MTV animated series Undergrads, and that debut album did well enough to land them more opening tour gigs, national touring gigs, a spot on the warp Tour, and made them sort of one of the buzzier young pop-punk bands of that era. They really broke out in 2002 with the release of their sophomore album The Young and the Hopeless, propelled by heavy MTV play and singles Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, The Anthem, and Boys and Girls. The album debuted at number seven on the charts and became one of the best-selling pop-punk albums of the era, selling over... million copies in the U.S. and 5 million copies worldwide. Good Charlotte became just like a headlining arena act at that time, one of the bigger rock bands around. And the band kept up decent momentum with their third album, Chronicles of Life and Death, which debuted at number three on the charts and went platinum with just over a million sales. But things kind of comparatively slowed down after that. Their fourth album, Good Morning Revival, debuted at number seven, but only sold around 300,000 copies. This was also kind of in the era when record sales started going down because of internet music. And their subsequent albums, Cardiology, Youth Authority, and Generation RX, all topped out max at around 50,000 albums sold. Of note, beyond the musical side of Good Charlotte, and this is something we'll dive into later, I think, the Madden brothers also became part of famous couples. Uh, Joel married Nicole Richie in 2010, and Benji married Cameron Diaz in 2015, and both those couples are still together. And Good Charlotte sort of works as an everyone is wrong topic because, honestly, compared to the bands that like sold and were as popular... In their era, I think they're probably the least well-respected of all those bands. It's hard to get exact numbers on, you know, uh, who's the best-selling pop-punk artists, and it sort of depends on if you include, like, Avril Lavigne or No Doubt in that categorization, but no matter how you slice it, they're probably, they're definitely a top 10 best-selling pop-punk band of all time, only trailing for sure bands like Green Day Offspring, Blink One Eighty Two, Sum Forty One, and Paramore, but they don't really get the any of sort of the nostalgic, warm glow that some of those bands get. Like the Young and the Hopeless, basically sold as much as Fallout Boy or My Chemical Romance's two biggest albums combined. Um, no matter how you want to slice that, and they are certainly not talked about. On that level, it's not like there's warm nostalgia, Riot Fest headlining dates for Good Charlotte currently, but that's essentially the basics of Good Charlotte. Uh, Jess, what's your sort of relationship with the band? Like how did you first get into Good Charlotte and what was your sort of uh, fandom experience?
1: Uh, So I first got into Good Charlotte when I was in, it would have been either end of 6th or beginning of seventh grade, which would have been, you know, when Young and Hopeless was at its prime. It was like, I don't remember what year that would have been, like 2003 or something that I was in those grades. I think I first heard of Good Charlotte just watching TRL at home, and um, I saw, I saw the music video for The Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous, and you know i really didn't like of all of the good charlotte smasholas that is my least favorite in terms of song and video mm-hmm. it didn't hook me right away it wasn't until i heard the anthem that i was like hooked yeah i saw you know benji madden's signature hairstyle at the time which was like sp- the long spikes they yeah, had that go out like a foot maybe even more <laughs> right um and his like the the black eyeliner going vertically down his cheek from the lower lid. <laughs>
0: yeah, he almost had like uh like football players when they like put the face like eye black down, except it was you know sort of like emo tears. mascara kind of tear <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I thought he was the coolest looking man I had ever seen, and uh the anthem. I mean, I would. It's such a great song. I was like, "All right, I'm into this band." So I went. I had my mom, you know, like take me to Walmart. <laughs> I got their CD, right? And then just became absolutely obsessed. And I think it was it was interesting because that was around a similar time that Skater Boy was coming out, and mm-hmm. I was really into the song Skater Boy. And for whatever reason, it I never cared about getting into avril lavigne i was like great song but i never like went and bought that album which i regret now because i actually like it now
0: right it's a great album
1: <laughs> but at the time there was just something about good charlotte there was some kind of magic to it maybe it was because or, p- previous to middle school in the 90s i had grown up in elementary school being very obsessed with backstreet boys and in sync and in sync even just before this when their album um came out was it no strings attached is that what it's called yeah
0: the, the one with the puppets
1: yeah, and they had the song "Dirty Pop" on it and stuff like that. I think that right yeah. is that the same? Oh, is that a different album? I don't know if
0: that's the same or not. I'm not. I I, I was I was an Insync person for like the first out, al- like when the first album came up. This is gonna. Mm-hmm. It's. I was into Insync before it was super cool. I was just when it was being <laughs> fed to me via the radio the first time, um, which is yeah. sort of uh, similar to my Good Charlotte fandom too. Yeah, but. I I totally get like if you're if you're, you know, kind of consuming that like radio mass TRL thing, it's like, oh, yeah, you get in younger and it's usually that pop stuff. And then you're like, oh, I don't want to be like a kitty. you know, all these nice songs. I kind of want to rebel a little bit. So look at this like cool guy with the spiky hair. He's more like feeling my. You know, young teenage angst a little bit more than, um, mm-hmm. you know, Justin Timberlake and his uh, curly blonde <laughs> locks.
1: Yeah. And at the, at the time that I was getting into them, my stepmom has a very interesting taste in music and got me into a lot of other things. Um, and I thank God for that because it was a good, like, contrast to me getting into Guitarellet on my own. Sh- my stepmom, Jan, was getting me into things like The Cure mm-hmm. and, um, and Radiohead and she would kind of tease me about Good Charlotte, not in a like malicious way, I think she was like trying to be nice, but also tell me like, this kind of sucks and don't forget this cool stuff I'm showing you. (laughs) And she would, (laughs) the way she would do it is she would, whenever I would talk, or like a couple times when I brought up Good Charlotte, she would call them PAP, she'd be like, well that's just, she was like, yeah, it is fun, but it's definitely just PAP. And I was like, no it's not, it's very serious. And then I read in an interview that Good Charlotte did that they were asked a question that was like, what is the best medicine when you're going through heartbreak? And they both were like, you got to lay in bed and listen to the cure. And I was like, wait a minute, Jan says the cure is cool. So I both used it as a way to try to prove to her that Good Charlotte was legit. And also it made me want to get into the cure even more than I already was. So they worked together in that way.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Your stepmom sort of being like I don't know, that's also often what I think of the role as like the like older sibling who's like, "No, like don't listen to your <laughs> kitty stuff. Listen listen to my stuff. I, I I have better taste than you."
1: I mean, I did have a very antagonistic relationship with my stepmom. It kind of felt like a sibling just in the the right. level of antagonism. So, I she was definitely kind of like bullying me but also being like listen to this though. You you should listen to this. Mhm.
0: Yeah, my personal Good Charlotte, so I'm a few years older, so I was actually into Good Charlotte on their first record when it was coming out. Wow. They were There was a year or two where they are probably a top five band for me. I saw them, actually, I'm wearing my 2002 Warp Tour t-shirt.
1: Wow. I saw
0: them play Warp Tour in Billings, Montana in 2002, and they were the band I was most looking forward to among, like, the... Newfound Glories and quarashi's and Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Bad Religion. I don't know. It was a lot. But I was really looking forward to Good Charlotte. And so I kind of have a little bit of the opposite where I sort of had a backlash against The Young and the Hopeless when it came out. Good Charlotte was sort of like the first band I sort of felt like "Mm, are these guys like sellouts and I've never been like a huge like punk like I was never like a huge punk purist kid but I was just like I don't know there's a couple songs on that album like I'm not a huge fan of a couple of the singles on that album Uh, the the anthem is awesome that's one of their like top three songs to me but I'm not a huge boys and girls or lifestyles person so I was kind of like "Eh, I don't know and then sort of they became famous to a level where I just sort of checked out and I had not listened to any of their albums past that in their entirety until prepping for this. So it was kind of a uh, fun experience going and checking that out. But yeah, I'll dive quick now into sort uh, sort of the criticisms that people have for Good Charlotte and then we'll launch into your defense points. Critics uh, haven't liked the majority of Good Charlotte's work. They're not really a critical darling band ever. They were more of just like, you know, we're selling records even if you don't <laughs> like us that much. So deal with yeah, it.
1: The limpest good of pop punk. Yeah.
0: Um. Their debut was probably their most positively reviewed. Uh, it got an A minus from Entertainment Weekly. But even the Young and the Hopeless, when they broke out, wasn't exactly lauded. It got two out of five star reviews from like Rolling Stone and Uncut. Wow. Yeah, it was not super well received. And then Chronicles of Life and Death sits at 53 on Metacritic with two star reviews from Rolling Stone and The Guardian. And it got a two out of 10 review from IGN that was reviewing albums back then. And their reviewer (laughs) had this line in the review that I thought was A little over the top, but sort of captured some of the backlash spirit, which is, uh, quote, I declare listening to the Chronicles of Life and Death to be the most painful thing in the world.
1: In the world. In the world. Oh, my God. I hope this man loves Limp (laughs) (laughs) Biscuit.
0: Possibly. Who knows? I mean, there there definitely could have been, you know, those weren't necessarily people playing on the same team, uh, fans of those two bands at that time. Um, well, I mean,
1: this guy's clearly not a fan of Good Charlotte, is what I'm saying. Yes. Maybe he's playing for Olympics. Exactly. <laughs>
0: um, the Rolling Stone review by Jenny Eilishu, I think, captures some of the general complaints about Good Charlotte. So I'm just going to read uh, some of that real quick from Rolling Stone. Here we go. Quote, pop punk isn't brain surgery, but there is an art to it. Good Charlotte's awareness of that fact has resulted in a string of hit singles and some of the genres, most memorable tunes in the past few years, three albums into their career. They falter by attempting to stray from the formula they've mastered. It seems they had too big a recording budget at their disposal, though straight ahead rockers such as SOS and walk away, maybe pack greater emotional wallop than previous good Charlotte bubblegum punk the Madden twins and company junk up several songs unnecessarily with unnecessary flourishes, such as string parts in Predictable and the new order ish since on Ghost of You. Somewhere underneath all that slick production, a handful of truly great gut punch melodies fight their way to the surface. It's a shame that Good Charlotte have made it so easy to ignore those hooks and focus on questions such as, did they really need to open up the record with a two-minute choral number that sounds like it came from the score of Edward Scissorhands? All of which compounds the usual problem good Charlotte face, asinine lyrics. The band that wrote the unforgivably dumb line, girls don't like boys, girls like cars and money, has outdone even its worst with the painful I just want to live, an agonizing attempt at rap rock, sample rhyme, talking on the phone, got an interview with Rolling Stone. They're saying, now you're rich and now you're famous. Fake-ass girls all know your name. Hey guys, leave us out of this. So that was the Rolling Stone take of that album. The Metacritic scores for their following albums are not Sterling, 45, 50, 66, 64. So they haven't really kept up that momentum. Even some of the like praise they've gotten, like they were ranked on Consequence of Sound's best pop punk album. list but they were ranked number 100 and they kind of get damned with faint praise as sort of cookie cutter underdog with like really good hooks that get stuck in your head but you're stuck in your head and we don't really like it though on the positive side Rolling Stone named two Good Charlotte albums on its 50 greatest pop punk albums list the Young and the Hopeless came in at 19 and Good Charlotte the self-titled debut came in at 46 but generally Good Charlotte is sort of A band that's more dismissed than anything. They're just the dismissible band that was the most successful in this era. So, Jess, why is everyone wrong about Good Charlotte?
1: Okay, so where I'm kind of coming from here with my defense of Good Charlotte, walk with me down this very short garden path. When you're a kid and you listen to music, you're not thinking about it in a critical way. You're thinking about, is this eliciting some kind of emotion from me? Am I connecting to it in some way? Am I able to relate to it in some way? And that's how we form these like really strong ties to what we listen to when we're young. Then we get older and we start to realize you know, what could be deemed good music and bad music, we start to think of things more critically. And I'm not even saying that that's bad. I'm just saying that then I think as you get a little older and you get past that kind of like pretentious music phase of your life, you kind of return to where you started, which is is what I'm listening to making me feel something because that's what I'm here for. Right. You know, when you're you're getting older and you're getting busy and you're going to put some music on, you have a little bit of time, you want to make sure you're listening to something that's going to make you feel a certain way, whatever that way may be that you're chasing and good charlotte whether or not their songs are objectively good um whether or not their shtick is, is objectively good i think that what is undeniable about them is they are one of those bands much like limp Bizkit, but we won't go there that can elicit a feeling from you if you're familiar with that song every time when you hear the anthem you're gonna want to throw your hands up like they ask you to <laughs> in the chorus it's just (laughs) it makes you feel good uh boys and girls is it's so cheeky and so fun even if you know it's even if it's not a favorite good charlotte hit and it's maybe not as like pop punk as many of their other it it leans more on the pop than the Mm. punk perhaps it still is like they bring a level of fun to it like you put on good charlotte when you want to have fun Mm -hmm. uh, and they're always going to deliver for that fact and that is why i will defend them i think that they are very intelligent with writing hooks uh, I think that they bring a level of uniqueness to certain things, such as the way that they do their harmonies together, the twins, Benji and Joel, the particular drum sounds they use, which may be the most consistent part of all of their records, is mm-hmm. they have a very unique drum tone, and the way that they drop a chorus with, they put a lot of like production oomph behind the first beat of a chorus, that mm-hmm. is is interesting to me, and that I haven't really heard other pop-punk bands do in that same way. So they're bringing something that's a little unique, Good chops, and they're going to make you feel hyped. And that is what I think makes them, def- you know, a defendable band.
0: Yeah. So let's dive into a little bit of the specifics on that. I think your first point of defense is sort of those hooks. It's just like hooks on hooks.
1: Yeah. I mean, they've, they had so many hits for a band with the reviews that you just read and the way that you just described them um, through like the, kind of through a general lens or whatever, um, you would think this band had one or two big hits, but they didn't. They had, like, so many. They had the anthem. They had Boys and Girls. They had the song Hold On. They had Predictable. Um, Those are probably like the biggest ones, but there are more even from the Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous if I didn't already say that one So I mean like they had a lot if you sit down somebody who didn't have the record They can probably name a couple of them Mm -hmm. if you sat someone down who did have the record Even if they haven't listened to it in years they can probably list off, you know half or more maybe all of those singles they had a lot of really Success. They had a they had a lot of success basically, and it's crazy, like you said earlier, to think that they're not that they're they're con- the fact they're considered an underdog despite having that many <laughs> really popular singles is wild.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's also partially the on the underdog part is partially that's sort of how their their perspective, and we, you know we can we'll we'll get into that in a little bit, but sort of just they sort of always frame themselves as the scrappy underdog in the just from a songwriting perspective even sort of when they after they get successful some of the songs are like you're dismissing me because now I'm famous but like I'm still gonna fight against you man like they always kind of have that (laughs) it's not it's not that they have like a victim mentality but they're always just like I think they're just fighters by nature
1: yeah they're scrappy
0: yeah and I mean so like even I got into the first album first and there's a couple songs on that like festival song is one of those when we're talking about hooks it's one of those things that like sometimes that's if i pick up a guitar that's like the first thing i play because it's just like a really simple thing that sounds cool
2: My liability, I'm menace to society. At least that's what they say
0: That's actually my favorite Good Charlotte song, because it's just very much in that like dreaming underdog, scrappy like you. I don't care what you're gonna what you say. I'm gonna do what I want to do and uh, not be like you. The Click was another song on that first album that really got just like hooked into me. It uh, like it starts with the line about Obi Wan Kenobi, and I think I was <laughs> like a Star Wars kid enough at that time that I'm like, oh, that's cool.
2: I walk like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you people talk, but you don't even know me, and that's alright, cause I get down with GC, so I walk on and listen to their CD, some people laugh, they do it just to spite me, behind my back, they don't know what I see, but I don't care what they say, I don't need them anymore.
0: And, yeah, it was weird. I was looking back because I had a sort of Mandela effect moment because I was looking over, like, pouring in the research. And, like, apparently there was originally that wasn't on the album, but I was, like, I'm 100% sure that was on the album. And
1: Which song? The Click?
0: The, the Click. Wow. Like, Wikipedia had it listed as not on the album. Then I went and, like, I how do I have this song, like, on my – because I was just, like, ripping CDs – to, like, my iPod and stuff. So it's like, how do I have this song if I didn't... Because it was, like, originally a Japanese bonus track or something like that. But then... They must uh,
1: have added it into yeah, the track listing Yeah, I think, they, I think they added
0: it on, like, further printings. Because, like, the Amazon CD of it has it on and in the right track order that I have it. So I was like... But there was a minute there mm-hmm. when I was doing research where I was freaking out about, like, how do I know this <laughs> song? Like... It was like um, the
1: Berenstein Bears conspiracy yeah, exactly. or whatever. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah. And I mean, the anthem is also probably a top three good Charlotte song for me. Said so that's the one that hooked you. And it's got just like such a hooky pre-chorus. And like the chorus is like maybe the best, like spinning while you're playing a guitar. Like that's sort of the sound that I envision. And they would do that <laughs> when they would play. But like, oh, it's like the peak of that thing. It's also funny because they have just a ton of songs with Anthem. There's also, like, East Coast Anthem on the first. I don't want to be in love, parentheses, Dance Floor Anthem. They're very declarative that, like, they are writing Anthems. (laughs) They are going for it, and you just have to come along for the ride.
1: Yeah, they're American heroes. I mean, they're from the D.C. area. A lot of, mm-hmm. you know, there's a big anthem often coming out of uh, Washington, D.C., the National Anthem. Oh, I've heard of that <laughs> <They're>... <laughs> one. I've heard that song.
0: It's a good song. It's not a good song, Yeah, actually. my
1: favorite indie classic, the National Anthem.
0: <laughs> Is it the, the song by the National, the anthem? I, I, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> but yeah, those first few albums, there's lots of songs that are just... Like, again, I'm not a big Lifestyles or... I. I think I kind of got out on the band because I wasn't big on lifestyles and I really was kind of hate boys and girls. And it's one of those things where if you're a fan early and then like the like biggest singles they're having are like songs you don't aren't on board for. It's hard to like keep that fandom momentum going. But there's Mm -hmm. other songs on like deeper cuts like Riot Girl is sort of like a rancid esque like Ruby Soho kind of thing that is a little weird because it follows "Hold On," which is sort of their uh, <laughs> yeah. requisite pop punk like suicide "Don't Kill Yourself" song, which is yeah. not quite on the like Adam song level, but it's like solid. It's more of like a it gets better version of that. There's a lot of that hookiness that, especially on those first few albums, that is just I, I think it's sort of undeniable, and that sort of seeps through a lot of those reviews where they're like look, we don't really like it, but these songs get stuck in our head. <laughs> so even like the critics were like begrudgingly and acknowledge- all acknowledging that they were good at writing hooks. And
1: yeah, they're, I mean, their hooks are very like, and the, well, like the lyrics are very ABC. Like they're, they're not laying out an incredibly profound thought for you. They're laying out something that is incredibly simple that everybody understands. And then they're putting a little earworm hook to it and, that is i think entirely responsible for their entire their entire career i mean even if you listen to like let's just take i'm going to take a random pop example like something like ariana grande i think that a lot of her songs are saying something that there are there are ariana grande songs that that do have a level of like of depth to them lyrically like a, a lot of of them probably and um then they're paired with those hooks as well but good charlotte was able to um not was able good charlotte did something much more bare they were like the like the little kids toddler blocks of that but they just did it so well they're just it's like you know one thing that i i don't know if this is jumping into this too soon but go for it their background the the twins and primary songwriters benji and joel they came from a very poor background they grew up incredibly poor the the story goes their father walked out on them when they were growing up and they just grew up with a single mom they have another brother and a sister so there were four kids and and a mom and no absolutely no money to to speak of they I don't think had a lot of like educational motivation for them it was just everything became about being a hood rat in D.C. and making music in the punk scene and they the fact that they got to where they are today you know there's a reason for that it didn't just happen on accident I think it's because they were able to play to their strengths which was just hooky music and a punk influence they they didn't have any formal music training they they didn't have any intellectual training that might have primed them for songs with more lyrical depth instead they just did what they were good at which was hanging out getting you hyped getting you listening to something that you know you can relate to that's simple they're just the simplicity of good charlotte is i think a huge strength of theirs
0: yeah and like diving into that background you know i think that's sort of your second defense point is sort of their story and that that humble upbringing Mm -hmm. the you know like waldorf worldwide which is one of the songs on their first record like the refrain is all i want to do is kick the welfare all i want to do is get my share they're very much, like, especially in those early albums, it's coming from that point of, like, look, we're poor, and we kind of hate our dad for <laughs> leaving us, and we're su- kind of sweet mama's boys. Like, they have a the song, mm-hmm. Thank You, Mom, that ends the first album, and it's just very, you know, they, they were guys who, once out of high school, they're just like, yeah, we're just going to do this band full-time, and that's what we're going to do, because we're just going for it and we don't, you know, it, they weren't a band that was going to like go to college and be like a college rock scene in like Athens or mm-hmm. something.
1: Or even a political punk band. They're right. absolutely apolitical.
0: Yeah. They're not like anti-flag or something though. And when they kind of like dip their toes into like the more self-serious stuff later on, it's not necessarily uh, great I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, not a strength. But also I don't think like, I don't want it to come off. I think they're like, you know, maybe it's that part of like they're sort of streets, street smart as opposed to like book smart. But I don't think they're like dumb guys, even though they're like, you know, sometimes the lyrics are like, Ew. I think it's just sort of the, you know, they sort of picked their lane and kind of stayed mm-hmm. in it. And I don't really fault them at all for that. It's just some of it can be harder to. Tap into when you're not in that like teenage angst mode sort of because of that and like also on that scrappy underdog thing and sort of their upbringing billy martin who you know became their guitarist actually i believe once when they got evicted they were already friends before he was in the band and the twins got evicted from their apartment so they crashed with him before he was even a member of the band. So it just, even well. like early on, they were still scrapping and still figuring it out and then were able to connect with, you know, made their little group of friends and stuck to it. And for a band that's sort of been successful and had ups and downs and not always being the, you know, critical darlings and stuff like that, they basically have, apart from the drummer, have stayed like the same core band for, they're not like broken up or anything they've been going strong for like 20 years now I guess essentially you know they have times where they're not making music but it's still like oh these are our our four friends and we're doing this together
1: yeah I thought of that earlier when you mentioned like that their records essentially sold or well Young and Hopeless essentially sold similarly to My Chemical Romance to um Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge and um the Fall Out Boy record. Um,
0: Under the Cork Tree, yeah.
1: There we go. That one I never but had. But it, it, um, was,
0: it, it was it was not that they sold more. Th- they sold substantially more than both of those. They also sold, like, basically oh. as much as that album. Like, it's Under the Cork Tree and the album after Under the Cork Tree combined are about as much as The Young and the Hopeless. Wow. And it's, like, I think there's, like, half a million more between... 3 cheers for Sweet Revenge and The Black Parade as Young and the Hopeless. So it's just like they wow. were selling like on a magnet uh, they came in a little bit earlier. They got a little bit more of that like pre-Napster people buying albums thing, but they mm-hmm. again were selling on a level above those bands that are still sort of getting that thing and maybe it's partially because they kind of haven't went away for times That's what those, I'm
1: saying. I I think like they like fallout boy kind of wasn't around for a while in an intentional way and same with my chemical romance and then when they came back and announced their reunions people went nuts but good charlotte their their mistake i guess was just like continuing to make music which uh it's yeah it's hard it's hard to knock
0: them for it but like they probably would have if they stopped after their third album and then just came back now, they'd probably if, be Yeah, better. if
1: they stopped after Chronicles of Life and Death and then, you know, this year announced a reunion tour, I bet they would get that same recognition. And I think it's just pathetic that that's how our culture works, <laughs> <laughs> that it's like, it's, I mean, I it's, th-
0: it's all on that like nostalgia drip where it's just if you, yeah you know, you want to go back to those times. But if there's no absence, the heart doesn't grow fonder.
1: Yeah. You're chasing the nostalgia dragon. (laughs) I've had this thought a lot in my, my own four year hiatus and bout of writer's block where I think like, what was it like to be a musician like 300 years ago? It's like, your name didn't matter. You would just travel around and you'd play your little songs and people would like it or they wouldn't. And then you'd make your little money for the night and that would be it. Mm
2: -hmm. And there's
1: something very charming and holistic about that where you're playing the music because you want to play the music and people like it. And it, it's a win-win and that's it. But now there's like so much more that goes into the archetype of the artist and it it really, I think, compromises the experience of them writing or playing the music and of the listener enjoying it. Now it's like it shouldn't be based on that ch- chasing the nostalgia dragon to listen to a song. It should be I like this and they like playing it and it's as simple as that, but it's not as simple as that anymore.
0: Yeah. And there, I mean, there's something really admirable about sort of the because they probably don't need to keep on playing money. They probably banked a lot of money in the time when record sales were still good. And they also, just for the twins, it's like, oh, you also have spouses that are not poor people. So they're <laughs> doing a very workmanlike thing of just like, you know, they haven't released an album since 2018, but also, you know, COVID and stuff makes that weird. Who knows if they would have put out another record by now with that. But, yeah, they seem to just want to do it, and that's good. <laughs> if you, if they, if they're enjoying yeah. it, I'm not. I'm never going to knock them for not strategically taking time out or not being burnt out because they actually like being a band together.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely.
0: So. so I think that sort of covers their upbringing, but then uh, your third point also. I think, deals with a little bit, defense point, deals with a little bit of their personal life aspect as well.
1: Their spouses. They married, as you mentioned before, Cameron Diaz and Nicole Richie. This is, I guess, just a matter of personal preference, but I'm counting that as a defense point because I love the two of them. And yeah. uh, I would tr- I would trust their judgment <laughs> on marrying whoever they decided to marry. <laughs>
0: I think that their sort of spouses might have been another detraction point for certain people because they just, you know, it's hard to be that underdog fighter and feel that like authentic when it's just like, you married movie stars and TV, reality TV stars. But, and I've never been like the huge reality TV or TMZ person, so it really didn't matter either way. But it, you know, when you when your breakout hit is lifestyles of the rich and famous and then you know our what of you's it a relationship with Nicole Richie like within like a year of that it does feel like i understand people pushing back on that but also they seem to be like much healthier like public relationships among famous people than most of them out mm-hmm. there so and they've ad- and even like I think in the song I just want to live they sort of address some of that like haters going to hate hypocrisy like you're yeah what you wrote that song and now you're like famous so like what now so they're at least self aware of it I think
1: Yeah I mean there definitely is a a trend like a socio psychological trend of of like this kind of hypocrisy I think of like you want you want to support the underdog but then once you support them enough and they become successful you turn on them you know this happens in every industry with public facing figures (laughs) um but i think that one defense of that point for the for the the twins is of these you know rich and famous people they picked they picked two of them like most like down-to-earth like american girl goofball type women you know like I mean, I watched The Simple Life uh, a lot in the last 10 years. I really love The Simple Life. And Nicole Richie is just like, you know, she kind of just puts a lot out there and hangs out and she'll let it all hang out, if you will, sometimes physically. (laughs) And Cameron Diaz is just like, she's Cameron Diaz has never been like a tabloid actress, you know, like she's she's just like is in the roles that she takes and then that's it she doesn't really there's not much to be said of her outside of you know her talent and her filmography
0: right and she even like stepped away from acting and is like fine doing that so she's definitely not that star chaser i need to be in the spotlight all the time person which exactly i think part of the like that good charlotte ethic also of like it's sort of the opposite but it's like them never going away and her being an actress and being like i'm just gonna go away are sort of weirdly the same like on the same wavelength even though they might seem like the opposite
1: Hmm. yeah yeah and i w- i was thinking when i was listening to I-, I listened to some some good charlotte in preparation for this of course and because i love listening to it but i was listening to riot girl the song you mentioned earlier and was thinking this kind of sounds like nicole ritchie because sure she's like a rich blonde celebrity but also in simple life she's like getting thrown out of bars she's like right. making fast food restaurant signs say things about dicks like she's just living her life with complete disregard which i get. i get was like the point of the show as well but she's still doing it and it seems like she's having a blast
2: everywhere we go she gets us thrown out constantly but that's okay because i know i know i know my baby Girl and she's taking on the word I said a minute 9 nine one one. one She's pissed off at Everyone Police rescue FBI She wants a riot She wants a
1: riot oh, uh, There's a riot girl component I think To Nicole Richie mm-hmm. I mean even, um, and- even,
0: even maybe Capra Diaz In the sort of comedic sense Where it's just like she was fied Sort of being the butt of jokes In a time when like she was the you know top ingenue and sort of didn't need to do that but like that was Mm -hmm. sort of her mo
1: yeah and to your point of of them having kind of like a healthy public image that too i think is is what makes their spouses a defense point for them is the, the they live next door to each other in the Los Angeles area, I'm sure it's like Beverly Hills or something like that. I don't know the exact neighborhood, but they're, they have houses next, literally next door to each other. They do family dinners with their families, with their kids and stuff all the time. They have a very close relationship. Cameron and Nicole became um, close friends through their respective marriages to, to the Madden boys. And I think that that aligns pretty closely with their family values that they always talk about in all their songs. I mean, they're, it's kind of, it's, it's, It's extreme how much the boys talk about their dad walking out on them in their songs. Jenny and I once, I was taking her on a tour of their first three records, just listening to them all top to bottom, and we were keeping a tally of how many mentioned their dad. And it's like, even in a love song, they'll find a strange way, (laughs) they'll find a way to bring him up, uh, which I think comes from ultimately a strong they they place fa- family you know very high in their values
0: yeah they're one of the most like wholesome in in a lot of ways one of the most wholesome non-like christian punk bands i would say you know they they have those daddy issues but like you know they are there's a sweetheartness that sort of runs through it and yeah, you know? and they
1: are Christian, but they don't talk about it in their songs very much. But yeah. in interviews and in their tattoos and in their poses for their promos, yeah. they're doing praying hands and stuff, which I think is because they are they are very Christian. Yeah, um, they,
0: they are, but it's not in the like... Yeah, they're very Christian, but they don't foreground it in the way that some of the... You know, they're not like Pedro the Lion or MXPX or, you know... Yeah,
1: Lifehouse.
0: Switchfoot or... Something like that, so yeah, I I think it all ties together to basically yeah make them a sort of family band in a very literal sense.
1: Yeah, and I did this is just like a like a personal anecdote, I guess, but I did have um, some friends who worked with them closely uh, for a time, and they just told me once that they were invited over to. The Madden boys house to like have dinner with them one night and like both the families came together and just like were the most friendly warm invite like they were like there was something about like Cameron and Nicole exchanging some kind of like barbecue appetizer recipe it was just like the most wholesome night they said that they like didn't necessarily see coming and they were just like yeah very they were invited into the home so warmly and felt like they were just having dinner with their own family so there's it's definitely like genuine i think and not some kind of like manufactured image or whatever
0: right all right so uh i think your fourth defense point for good charlotte is sort of the unique sonic landscape that they occupy. And I think you kind of talked about that a little bit up at the top, but do you wanna dive a little bit more fully into that?
1: Yeah, I mean as far as talking about it technically, it will not be my musical strength. Um that's fine. But uh they're the particular kind of treatment that they give drums, their drums, I like can't I've I've never heard another band record drums in the same way that they did produce drums like they did. Um, you can hear it best probably in the Young and the Hopeless. Um, it actually might not come up at all in the first record. It might start in Young and the Hopeless and it's definitely in Chronicles of Life and Death. It's it's just so like, I, there. it's not every band that you can hear a drum tone and go, oh, that's that band. It definitely comes up.
0: I mean, Lifestyle starts off with that drum like a pretty like distinct drum beat into it the it's
1: like the the kick drum is incredibly the the kick drum is i think what makes it most unique well it's the kick and the snare i guess Mm. the kick has this like It's got like a roominess to it, and this is in like all of their songs. They just like it sounds like they're just using the same drum treatment for those two records at least. It's got like a really boomy kick, and the snare. I mean, the snare sounds like it's. If I had to guess, and I could be very wrong here, I do not know, but it sounds like it's a they're mixing, tracking an actual kind of like very tight snare with, you know, like a fake snare uh Mm -hmm. to give it that kind of like crisp kind of poppy feel to it but that paired with that like boomy kick is just like it's just so interesting i don't know how else to describe it it's the kind of thing you have to listen to i guess to hear what i'm talking about i wish i knew how to talk about it more technically
0: Yeah, I mean they, in general, like they used a lot of like, sort of hip hop break beats, and th- there's definitely like a strong like hip hop influence on Good Charlotte that sometimes mm-hmm. is makes them have a unique sound, and sometimes you makes you like grit your teeth a little bit. Um, I mean, they're yeah. even in their first it's not couple great albums. when they do it. <laughs> even in their first couple albums, it's like there's a lot of like, just like sort of like the. Noises they make that are beyond like non lyrical are often like seems like they're trying to, like, uh, yeah, come on, uh, uh, kind of like <laughs> yeah. stuff where you're like, oh, yeah, uh. what? come on, yeah, right? come, on. come on, come on, here we go. Like, I didn't realize it. I think, you know, listening back, sort of what I was getting out of Good Charlotte, I was like, wait, uh, you know, even as like. 15 or whatever I'm like are they trying to do like a hip-hop sort of thing I do feel like they're sort of they're sort of like the new metal of pop punk like that's what i was have... saying the biscuit of pop punk yeah, like exactly
2: <laughs> You were yeah
1: the the worst little like like you were saying like non what is the word you use like a non-word kind of
0: non-lyrical or... like ticks or like uh vocal yeah like they
1: they do one in Waldorf Worldwide where it's like a Ticka Yeah. Brick it, brick it, brick it
2: down.
1: and I'm always like, "Why are you doing that? It's <laughs> do so bad." Yeah, where
0: they're just doing the like record scratch with their mouth.
1: Yeah. So like, oh my god. Oh. Just that I thought of that when you were reading that section of the Rolling was it the Rolling? It was a Rolling yeah, Stone Rolling article Stone review, by that woman. Yeah. She was saying that they were trying out rap, rap rock, and I was like. They've been trying out rapper. Yeah, that was the third album. It's like
0: no, they they've been doing that. That was like their that it made them distinct from like, you know, the bands at the start. And if you were like on board for it, you know, when you're it sounds a lot cooler when you're in it and you're a young teenager and then when you like that's probably the thing that's like aged the worst of the band where you're like, ooh, you know, the farther you get away from it, you're like, I don't think so. But I also read, you know, in research that, like, they formed the band. uh, The brothers, like, were like, we need to be a band after seeing the Beastie Boys in concert, which, like, makes a lot of sense if you think of them, like, as Beastie Boys influenced pop punkers. I also think there's a little bit, like, sometimes on that, especially on that first record, there's like a little bit, like, not only is this pop punk new metal, this is at times sort of like pop punk sublime. At That's moments. what Waldorf
1: Worldwide feels like to me. More sublime than new metal. Mm-hmm. But I hear both. But yeah. It feels very sublime.
2: Uh, listen up, cause it ain't nothing funny. I want a hot girl and a little bit of money. I want a little house where my bed can live. Cause we're tired of moving every other weekend. I want to go to parties where they got no guns. I want to rock with my bed. I want to have a little fun with thugs and puns. And any other type, sing this song. You yeah, will sing it online.
0: It's sometimes not great, but it is definitely like they stand out from the pack. You know, it's not the New Found Glory type sound or, you know, doesn't sound exactly like they're trying to be Blink-182 or Sum-41 or something like that.
1: I think they have a genuine scrappiness to them that, like, I, I could see them watching Beastie Boys and being like, I want to do that because they have an ethos and a swagger and a scrappiness that does kind of suggest something like that. They just, mm-hmm. when it comes to writing the actual songs, right. their strength tends to be the hooks and the the more like teen angst and gushy stuff that like is going to come out better through melody and, and more pop punk, more pop punk sounds. And I think that that also comes back to them being like soft boys, l- l- fam- their family boys. Yeah, they, <laughs> and,
0: yeah typical thing where sometimes all the tattoos and the crazy hair are you know projections a little bit but you know you don't <laughs> want to be the soft boy And I think it's their genuine
1: yeah yeah it's that stuff is I think they're genuine like aesthetic and I think that it suits them but at their core though that's not what's at the core it is what it's at the, at the Beastie Boys core it's at Limp Bizkit's core and that's why they can pull that stuff off but good charlotte only goes so far with them it's for them it's it's an ethos and less something that they can manage and practice but mm-hmm. but they did all right <laughs> yeah
0: you're here you're here defending them and i don't have a <laughs> i'm not being like what are you talking about this band is the worst <laughs> so then i think the final point of defense is sort of their music videos and i think you have a connection with those that you really enjoy
1: yeah i um once when i was i I think i was probably walking around fye in the mall or something um this would have been i was at least a year deep into my good charlotte obsession um and i stumbled upon a dvd that they had put out of the good charlotte music video collection and i was like holy shit this exists and so i bought that and i would just come home from school and watch all of it constantly. And it's like them talking about the videos and stuff too. There's like interviews and stuff. And they just, I mean, one thing that I think is true of them in the same way that they've got a lot of hooky singles that, you know, made a dent in, in radio play at that time. They also have some pretty fun music videos. Some, some people just cannot get their music video stuff together. Honestly, I feel very guilty of that. So it's, it's something I relate to, but (laughs) yeah, it's, it's not easy to be like, it's just not what you do when you write Mm -hmm. a song you're not writing a music video so it's sometimes there's a disconnect when trying to put them together but i mean the anthem music video feels exactly like the song the anthem so there it's they're skateboarding in an empty pool they got a whole squad they're all throwing their hands up it's like exactly what you feel like
0: yeah it those first especially the start of their music videos a lot of them were sort of they're doing Good versions of, like, the cliched pop-punk music videos. Like, Little Things is... Sort of the like high school out of control, and the band's like gonna play a show, and Mandy Moore's in it. Weirdly,
1: yeah. I mean, that's that's really. The, I should have started with that when talking about the music videos. Is they came out swinging with video game from the start because they had Mandy Moore in their very first music video before anybody really knew who they were. Right. I guess like maybe the only thing they had under their belt at that time was that tour with Lit. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was like basically they must have been like a label thing where they just signed and we're like mm. oh you know how do we but it was also like it's not she's not that like forward she's not like the girlfriend in the music video or whatever she's just like one of the people it's there. a little strange yeah but yeah so a lot of like the first album is like that or like the documentary kind of music video where it's like here's some tour footage and they're playing and then they really amp things mm. up on uh the young and the hopeless anthem you know, the anthem is like that pool video, which is just like not that unique of a thing, which I mean, I think is kind of sometimes the criticism of Good Charlotte. It's just like you guys are kind of doing a version of what everybody else does and making it slightly your own. But like you do it well enough that like, yeah, that works.
1: I mean, the the kind of video that's just like live footage and documentary footage it's like you know like the budget music video like the label wants us to put a video out but they can't give us the same budget as the last one that kind of feeling they even nail that with with festival song with that video like it's such a great video it doesn't even feel like a budget video it feels like the music video because they're having such a good time on stage at a festival playing that song. They just the shots are all great.
0: Yeah, and it also makes them seem like big because that was like right when they were starting out and like not huge, but it was yeah. some like you know pop punk festival or whatever. And it looked it's like a football field full of people. And you're like, oh wait, this like I I I know this band. You know, like me being into them early it was like oh they're like that many people know them and you know it was probably like blink 182 was headlining that festival or whatever and but it's just like it's still like they were getting the crowd whipped up and it's easy to you know want to get on board when you're like oh that many people are into this live they must be okay live yeah
1: Yeah, definitely they have great stage presence and even at that time you know it's even with that many people around and it feels like they're cheering you on, even though you know most of them aren't there for you, it still is like, uh, it's, it's easy to get nervous and to be like, well, I want, there's a lot of people here and I want them to like what I'm playing and you kind of psych yourself up and a lot of kind of like, I think fake ego can also work against you, but they have a kind of confidence, like a calm, just like confidence to their, that I, seems born from simplicity, again, because they're not, Highly educated people or highly educated musicians, they're just kind of like hanging out and playing to their strengths. There's, I think, a calmness comes with simplicity, and they're, um, they're, they look like all those people are there for them in that video. They're just doing their thing.
0: And like continuing on on their music, like video evolution, like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous was like their breakout, like MTV music video. And that is one where. They're put on, like, it's like the plot is like they're on trial. I'm not sure if it's for, like, defamation against rich people or what exactly. Because <laughs> uh, they're also in, like, interrogation rooms. It's unclear what they're being put on trial for. But it's also, like, the only music video that features the tandem of Kyle Gass from Tenacious D, who's, like, the prosecutor. syncs. Oh. Kirk- Chris Kirkpatrick is one of the people on the stand being uh, questioned as a witness. And then also Mike Watt from the Minutemen is in that music video, he's in like (laughs) the jury. So if you're getting like Tenacious D, the Minutemen and NSYNC together, I I feel like you're at least doing something, right?
1: I That was totally lost on me that any of those people were in it, even as an NSYNC fan. I think because I just like really didn't connect with something about that song and that video that I, I never... I didn't return to it enough. It's like always the skip one for me for some reason. Mm-hmm. I did not remember that at all. That's amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then also on that album, Boys and Girls was like... It's sort of like old folks as punks. It was like, mm-hmm. what if all our friends were like geriatric basically
1: what I remember watching a little like cl- it might have been on that music video dvd where there was like some exposition of Benji talking about how the video came to be and he talks about how they received a bunch of different video treatments none of them felt quite right and then they got this one about having elderly people and he was just like that's the one which I feel like is just charming because at a time like especially as they're trying to I think clearly trying to Mildly emulate kind of like the boy band format, but with a punk edge to it. In that way, they could be maybe called sellouts. That they're not going for a sexy video and they're not just going for videos that make them look like they skate in an empty pool all day. They're also like, we're going to go hang out with a video cast that is like pretty much strictly the elderly and we're going to hang out with them and have fun. And they look like they're having a great time and they're like actually interacting with these older people. And Benji at that time changed it he then had a new signature haircut where it was shaved and it was like pink and leopard print on his head and his on his very short hair uh, which was also a standout for that music video for me for some reason and then there was the hold on music video which I know it's a more like rudimentary what is the blank 182 song is it Adam's song yeah It is like a more rudimentary version of that, and it's just full of hope. And it's just like, hold on, it gets better than you know. It's kind of corny, but the music video for that is messed up. They like it's very long. They take lots of dramatic musical pauses to just basically interview people whose relative, partner, child, parent committed suicide, and they talk about that experience and how they live with it now. Like, I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it. If I watch every time I watch it, from when I was a child through now, I will cry. It, it, they did it so well.
0: Yeah, it's well done. It's it's like better... It packs more of an emotional punch than the song itself. But it's, yeah, these yeah. confessionals of people and just either talking about who they lost or, you know, it'll say like, lost a brother, friend, and son, you know, over the people's images or... A couple of the people are survivors themselves like people who tried and like got were helped made it in some way and yeah, yeah. but yeah that, that, that definitely is the most like it's that's the most serious good Charlotte thing that like works where they're like we're trying to be important and we're trying to like not just be kind of a frivolous pop punk band and it actually mm-hmm. connects whereas like a music video like we believe later in their career is super cringy (laughs) and it's like they're trying to be important and there's like images of like tsunamis and disasters and you're like this you're not this band please please stop you're making me uncomfortable um but hold on totally they're going for that and they actually hit it
1: yeah they really do it's where they're not they're able to be serious outside of the fact that they're not They're not political and they're not particularly, you know, profound. So they're tapping on something, again, very simple. That's always what their strength ends up being at the end of the day. It's, yeah, this idea that, you know, sometimes you don't want to friggin' be alive anymore. It happens and they're here to talk to you about it in the most simple terms you can imagine. And I think that it is an interesting case, counter to what I was saying earlier about music videos, where the song almost can't live without the video. Mm hmm. I first heard the song through the music video, I, I saw it on MTV, I th- or maybe that's not true, I might have already had the record. But either way, like once you see the video, you cannot unsee the video, and it becomes a part of that song. Um, right. And like you said, it, it does not hit as hard without the video. Um, and right. once you've seen it, now whenever I do listen to the song, I'm thinking of the video, and it's making me want to cry. Even though if I had never seen the video, I might not have had such a strong reaction to that song.
0: Right. It ties the art together it's a symbiotic relationship
1: and then the last video of of no to me is predictable because that that's from the the next records era chronicles of life and death i was laughing at that rolling stone review when you mentioned the part where she was like you she mentions them kind of like wasting time on putting strings in the song predictable which I mean, I'm always a fan of throwing some strings into a song, <laughs> yeah. and I think in Predictable especially, it works.
0: <laughs> I, was just, I was just reading. I was just reading what critics were saying <laughs> at the time. I was not saying that it's a joke that they have strings in here, because sometimes that works. And yeah, that whole music video has sort of uh, Edward Scissorhands motif.
1: Well, oh, that's what it was that she mentions that their their two minute intro song to that record is like a choir song that sounds like it's from Edward Scissorhands.
0: And then they make an Edward Scissorhands video.
1: Yeah. And the video was, I think, like the treatment was created by and it was directed by Billy Martin, the other guitar player.
0: Right. It was like based on his drawings, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And for that reason, I mean, I think that part of it probably was them jumping on that Hot Topic train that My Chemical Romance was on. They were like, oh, okay. how do we make another record that's going to be as big as Young and the Hopeless? We'll do the same kind of stuff we normally do, but a little bit more like macabre and camp and Hot Topic.
2: Yeah. But at the same
1: time. Yeah. Yes. Chronicles of Life and Death and all of that. I'm sure there was a level of manufacturing to that, but at the same time, it it is kind of forgiven by the fact that that is what Billy Martin's genuine vibe is and what he, that's just what he does. Yeah, Bil- so, Billy
0: has a very, like, the scrawny kid in class who's, like, drawing in his notebook vibe. Just in general, he is not, like, yeah. in comparison to, like, Benji. Especially Benji has, like, a very, like, I'm the cool punk in they have bravado i'm like the punk who like is dating like the homecoming queen like vibe yeah and billy's like he's my friend who wears a hoodie and curls up in the corner and is like
1: he yeah billy is the one wearing notebook. the he's wearing the hoodie with the whole thumb cut in the sleeve <laughs> yeah, for sure. yeah he's the quiet kid for sure that like took theater class probably and is just has a little line lined paper notebook spiral notebook there we go just full of like pen drawings of like tim burton characters (laughs) yeah and it's i think that's real for him and is not i think even today he still he has some kind of like business or he does something creatively where he's still making art like that so even though sure it was like the video for predictable is kind of corny but there is i think a f- it's forgivable and there's a sweetness to it because it comes from somebody in the band genuinely expressing their artistic creativity yeah
0: it feel it feels like them at least trying an artistic vision of something and even if it is yeah. like a little bit like gothy where you're like mm, okay you're goth kids all of a sudden sure it's still yeah. it still like feels it doesn't feel like they're just putting it on totally maybe a little bit but yeah not totally
1: and they nailed the camp like the video production wise the camp is good
0: the only other video that I noticed on this is the 40 ounce dreams video has a last man on earth motif which I guess must have been when the sh- around when that show was coming out but uh that's another oh, one that's actually I've never seen kind the... of yeah it's a- another one that's actually fun a lot of the later good charlotte videos are not that fun but that one's in there so I think that covered your defense points. Before we totally hop out, we'll get to the junk or Are there any other like assorted good Charlotte thoughts that you feel like you wanted to share, or that don't fit into our sort of defense point format?
1: You know, I'm looking at my little. I did. I I, jot, I, I jotted down like four things, um, and I think I accidentally <laughs> said about all, all of them. That's fine. <laughs> I did write down a couple of things that I put under a category called negative things, which...
0: Yes, this is a... Pun- well, you can you, Now this is... <laughs> the junk drawer is the space to get out like, cool, I defended them, also yikes for these few things.
1: These are the things that I found a little bit indefensible. Um, okay, so... Or like that maybe I just don't know enough about to defend. I don't know how to word it. One of them is that Joel Madden dated Hilary Duff when he was 25 and she was 16. Um, yeah, I
0: was going to bring this one up too. <laughs> this is definitely the most uh, questionable thing about Good Charlotte. Despite all the yeah. family family values, he was uh, dating an underage girl when he was in his mid-20s.
1: And what I do know about Hilary Duff, again through a personal connection, somebody who knew her for and, and knew her very well for a time, I think she's got a level of being wise beyond her years, a bit older than, than she is. You know, she, she seems a bit older than she is. And I think that Joel kind of goes in the opposite direction where he's like maybe got a little bit less going on than someone his age, which I mean lovingly. So there is a chance that, you know, there was kind of like a meeting in the middle there of some kind. So I don't want to fully discredit it. And her mom, I get, I was reading about this this morning in preparation for this point specifically, her mom, the, the relationship was made public first through her mom in an interview where she talks about it and endorses it and like so supports it and says it's okay. So that makes me think maybe that they're, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying it's great, but I also hesitate to say that it's like that bad. Right. Um. <laughs> it doesn't seem
0: like, it seems like if it was like, it is sketchy regardless, but if it was like oh, yikes, I feel like in today's climate it would have come up more. I mean, it feels a little, it doesn't feel as bad as like Jerry Springer like dating a teen when, yeah. but it's in the same phylum where it's just like Jerry Springer is not like, I mean, not, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's not canceled or anything, but people will bring it up and be like, you're kind of skeevy for that. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a different time, but not that different of a time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's easy for me to write off. It's easy for me to stop at and go, hmm, and then easy for me to just keep walking. (laughs) Um, But so, yeah, it's something that I couldn't quite defend. Right. The other thing is there is an episode of MTV Cribs with, I don't know if they lived together or if it was just Benji's house, but I just remember Benji being in it and I was very excited at the time because I loved this band and I loved MTV Cribs so when they came together I was so excited but there was this like one really weird part where Benji is talking about he has like a pet tiger chained to a tree outside his house it's like an exotic animal it's literally a tiger that he is suggesting he owns which I think that like probably if I had to guess that was fake and that it was MTV Cribs being like we're gonna make people think you have a tiger chained to your right. tree and that's gonna we're be to cool. we're gonna
0: get a rent one from the local like animal preserve or whatever and
1: yeah it look like you're I, I living bet this the,
0: wildlife
1: exactly i don't think it's fucking real but it's still just like in poor taste it's just like you don't chain a tiger to a tree you don't chain any animal to a tree it looks shitty when people have their dog t- you know tied to a tree let alone a fucking tiger um yeah so that also, also they were out. like
0: big like Billy, I think, was, like, the PETA celebrity of the year at one point. They were, like, big, like, animal rights. Good Charlotte has a big, like, animal rights underpaying. Yeah. But they also, like, had a... They, like, spoke out at some time against KFC, but then they also did, like, a KFC ad. <laughs> so it was, like... Right. It's those Good Charlotte things where you're, like, hey, not all of your What's stuff is on? lighting up. Like, you don't like the rich people. And now you're
1: yeah dating,
0: <laughs> like... The, like, poster child for, like, rich reality TV celebs. Anyway. Yeah. um,
1: I think at best the tiger thing is PR bullshit and at worst it's sketchy. So it's, like, there's nothing really there to (laughs) feel good about. The last thing I had is just that they can't – I actually already talked about this. They can't seem to stop talking about their dad walking out on them. And this actually is a perfect segue because you just were talking about incoherence and – Apparently they reconciled with their dad in the last like ten to twenty years, and they're buddies. Like they're all good, which is great. Like I've you know feel nothing but positive feelings for that. It's just interesting that they base their whole career on their resent for this man.
2: <laughs> right. Uh,
1: they've brought him up at every possible opportunity, and it's interesting because they don't even mention that. On this morning, I read their band Wikipedia page, the Wikipedia page for the Madden brothers, and then their individual wikipedia pages the twins and there is no mention of their dad walking out on them which is crazy to me that's (laughs) their whole thing that's their
0: stick i wonder if
1: they had it scrubbed because they're really close with their dad now you know um and in a way there's integrity to that too there's there's dignity there in you know letting something go and forgiving someone and not making the whole world bring shame upon this person for a mistake that they made you know 30 years ago or whatever but it's interesting right (laughs)
0: Yeah, a couple of things I wanted to touch on before we get out of here. One is just, again, circling back to boys and girls, it's just like how much I hate that. I think that's the song that took me out of Good Charlotte because um, mm-hmm. I feel like even 15-year-old me was like, what is this chorus? And I, I'm just going to <laughs> read the lyrics to the chorus. I'm going to do a dramatic reading just to underpin the like, worst end of like good charlotte lyrics which i think is like the easiest point to like poke holes in them uh Mm -hmm. course of boys and girls goes as such girls don't like boys girls like cars and money boys will laugh at girls when they're not funny and these girls like these boys like these boys like these girls the girls with the bodies like boys with ferraris Girls don't like boys. Girls like cars and money. Just profound stuff. Just really. I like it. It's <laughs> <laughs> fun. It's catchy. It, I, also, the weirdest karaoke experience I ever saw revolves around that song. I was in like a country kind of karaoke place in Billings, Montana. And for some reason, there was a flamboyant African-American person there. And they went on stage and sang good Charlottes boys and girls to like this country audience and then like left afterwards and I (laughs) cannot really process it uh, to this day, but it was very strange.
1: Yeah, that definitely sounds like something that's that stays in the old memory when you've seen it. You can't unsee it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the the lyrics are like basic and silly, but I feel like um, that was kind of like the, the choice to use the words boys and girls is like already kind of setting the <laughs> scene here to be talking about romantic relationships in an infantilized way. And they yeah. just like really come at you with the infantilized chorus. But I think it's a lot of fun. It probably was harder to connect to when I was listening to it in middle school because I was like, that was just not what was happening. There were not girls interested in boys with cars because none of us could drive yet. So that was like the hardest for me to connect to in that way. But as I've gotten older, I find that song funnier and funnier. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> I, I mean, it, I think
0: me. it, I think it depends on yeah, it depends on your perspective. If I think like fifteen year old me who was like, I this is, I mean, I don't really want songs that are comedic unintentionally. Um, you were like, what about the Pop boys Punk?
1: with the 93 Ford Tauruses? Yeah, I don't
0: know. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, I would say uh, another thing is just in general, I feel like almost all Good... I feel like Good Charlotte needs just an editor in terms of like almost all their albums seem like two or three songs too long. Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: But that was a different time, though. That's when know, you tried to put like, as many...
0: I, even I then, wish they weren't I there, too. I still like it's just... For, for me, generally, pop-punk albums need a very good reason to be like over 12 tracks or like Mm -hmm. over 40 minutes and good most of good charlotte's like i again good charlotte was one of my like favorite bands and i went like back and listened to that first album it's just like after the the, like the side two of that record i'm like i don't remember some of these songs because they're so like neither here nor there
1: yeah every song needs to be like or every album needs like two songs taken out for sure
0: it's, and it's pretty easy. It wouldn't be that difficult. But um, I should also really quickly like run through. We kind of focused on the first three Good Charlotte albums. And I listened to mm-hmm. every Good Charlotte album uh, LP to get, do this. So quickly after their third album, Good Morning Revival, which came out in 2007 and they started writing in 2005, there's just no way of getting around. What clearly happened was they <laughs> listened to the killer's hot fuss. And they were like, "Oh, wait! This would be a good way again. Sort of that, like, oh, the we're gonna make our last album slightly more MCR gothy." It was clearly like, "Oh, it would probably be a little bit more sustainable to kind of have a little more like dance punk vibes." And, and they
1: wanted some like get the Disco. Yeah, and it was very yeah
0: yeah the killers. It was very killers. Killers-y and it sort of ends up sounding more closer to the bravery for that reason but also mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like sonically different than because of that they're trying something new it's actually not the worst like there's a song mm-hmm. all black that's very cringy that's just like uh you know like i wear all black and i think all black and like the rolling stone song painted black and all this kind of stuff but in general like the i don't hate the um sonic feel of that album the 2010 yeah. the following album 2010's cardiology is maybe their worst one it's just generic as fuck there's nothing there 2016's youth and authority is sort of like a throwback closer to their earlier pop punk days and that one's decent and then 2018's generation rx is definitely like their most self-serious one and but at least it's it's also their shortest it's just a hair over 30 minutes so it's like you're not in that world for an hour so that's good yeah but um in general i'm yeah i think good charlotte as i think you make a decent case it's all just sort of perspective it's just weird to me and we talked about it that they are just so dismissed considering how big they were um yeah but they
1: didn't get no respect
0: it's the old rodney dangerfield situation but that's why jess you are here to defend their honor
1: yeah I'll always defend them. They seem like sweethearts. They had some real fun songs, and from where I'm sitting, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe I'll get my child raise my child to play an instrument, and we can all we'll do a family band, Good Charlotte
0: <laughs> so before we get out of here, we'll get into some plugs. We'll loop back around. If you want to uh plug songs once again
1: yeah, so i I just had that new song come out. It's just um available on streaming platforms and you know for for download and at my Bandcamp and all the normal places
0: is it just tankred tankred.bandcamp.com
1: uh i think it's oh is it yeah it is <laughs> yep you knew that better than i did tankred.bandcamp.com for sure and yeah i'm on i'm on social media uh, on instagram i'm at jess daniel abbott and on twitter at jess abbott where there's more details about those songs as well. I think that's probably all that I have to plug at this time. If there's anything new that has not yet come to light at the time of this taping, check out the social media. There might be some stuff going on. Awesome.
0: And yeah, I will just plug more of Jess's music. Again, Out of the Gardens, my favorite Tankard album. Uh, check that out, but also... The self-titled, I actually have two copies of the self-titled on vinyl because I didn't realize <laughs> that I had one. And I, when you reissued it, I bought another one. And I'm like, wait, I already have this. Uh, <laughs> and Nightstand is great. I really love the acoustic version of Nightstand. So check those out. Check those out on the old Tancred Bandcamp. Yeah, but thank you for coming on and uh, chatting and, you know, helping me reconnect to some of my pop punk roots and uh everybody go listen to some good charlotte for nice casual time and then you know maybe throw on some tankard for a little more um little higher lyrical and uh music but uh thanks for coming on (laughs) jess and remember even if everyone else mocks it love the stuff you love